0: If you have your Bible's electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn to, to Genesis Genesis chapter 32. We're going to look at, look at Jacob's life, and, 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 I, and I just want to tell you, yes, I'm still dealing with a cough. Yes, I am seeing a doctor, a real doctor. Uh, yes, I'm on medication and working through it. No, I am not dying. Um, and so I just want you to know we're, we're working through this. I, I mean, after all, you know, it just adds character to cough all the way through a message every weekend. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and you know what? Using a cough drop, it, it absolutely does not help. So I just started eating candy. Uh, so, uh, so today it's butterscotch. And so uh, if I start coughing, then that's what I'm going to eat and try to get through this, this message. But if you have your Bibles, and <coughs> I need some butterscotch. <laughs> so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 32. And I, I, I'm going to talk to you about a message. Uh, the fact is, I, I just want to use Jacob's life. I want to talk to you about struggles. I want to talk to you about crisis in life. Fact is, it's deeper than that. I I, I want to talk to you about a dysfunctional family. And I want to talk to you how you break the chain of a dysfunctional family. Now listen, just so we're all tracking, and this may be news to you, we all have come out of a dysfunctional family, right? Okay, so we may like to play the game that my family's more dysfunctional than your family, right? Right? I mean, I played that. I mean, we have a dysfunctional family. You know, what is? it was a freeing day. You know, my dad, um, when he was in his 70s, um, that was like 15 or so years ago, he sent a letter to all of our kids. And, and the, the, the title of the letter was, you were raised in a dysfunctional family. You know, don't waste your money on a counselor. Just let me ask for forgiveness. And so, uh, and, and, and I, I, I will carry that letter for, forever. For a dad to admit that, uh, it was like freeing to us. So, so okay. So, we're all, we're all came out of a dysfunctional family. I had a dysfunctional family. You have a dysfunctional family. And so, how do you break the chains? How do you break out of the habits that, that you were raised in? How do you break those chains so you raise your family right differently? Now, listen, there's something about struggles and problems that come our way that, that a lot of times, if we're not careful, we pray in ways that are wrong. In other words. We can have a, a, a struggle in our life or a situation in our life. And you know what we do? We pray, God, change the situation, right? Change the circumstance. Instead of praying, God, change me. God, what I need to learn in this? What I need to own in this? What I need to change in this? And so, so we, we want God, if we're not careful, we want God to change the situation, the circumstances. Now listen, there are a few times in Scripture where God did that, right? Uh, we know some of those. But the majority of the time, God didn't change the situation. You know what he did? He changed people. And so a lot of times we pray in a way that is like non-biblical or, or unbiblical or not biblical, however you should say that. We pray in a way, and so, so a lot of times we just want God to take the pain away. We want take God to take the crisis away. We want God to take the struggle away. But I'm telling you, God is in the midst of the struggle with you. God is in the crisis with you. And a lot of times God wants to use that crisis or that struggle in your life to deepen you and to help you. When we have a decision to make, right? When we're in that struggle, we're in that crisis, don't we pray a lot of times if you're like me, God, just make, make the decision clear. You know, like close all the doors, open one door so it's like a no-brainer which door I'm supposed to go through. Instead of praying, God, would you grow me? Would you give me wisdom and discernment to be able to pray and connect with you and to know the way, to know the door that I'm supposed to go through? When we have trials and we have pain, we pray God take the pain away instead of God, God help me and develop perseverance and character in my life. And, and so many times we're focused on the wrong thing. Now listen, a little bit about Jacob's life in case you're like, like you're new to church or you're new to the Bible. I'm going to help you to understand Jacob's life. Jacob's life is one of struggle and, and overcoming struggle. The fact is when you look at his life, there's not a moment in his life that he's not in some kind of struggle. There's not a moment in his life that he's not in some kind of pain, mainly because of the dysfunctional family that he came out of. In his dysfunctional family, like all of us, you you learn survival methods, you learn coping skills, and sometimes out of dysfunctional families, you learn coping skills that are not not helpful, not healing, not productive. That, That was Jacob. And so there's not a moment in his life that he didn't have some kind of a struggle in his life. And... The majority of the time, and so this should be good news to you. I know it's good news to me. A lot of times, the, the struggles that he had in life, it was his fault. It was because of his deception. It was because he's a manipulator. It was because he's a deceiver. It was because he's a liar. It's because he said some things. He did some things. So the, the majority of his struggles came out of his consequences. And the reason that's good news to us or it should comfort us, because God does not leave you doesn't forsake you or abandon you in your crisis and your struggle when it's your fault. There's some that believe, you know what, if I brought this on, then God's going to judge me, God's going to abandon me, God's going to like throw me to the wall. But, but the scripture says that, that God was with Jacob in the midst of his struggles, even when Jacob caused it. And so many times we have this tendency, if we're not careful, to think if I brought the, if I brought the crisis on, if I, if I brought the struggle on then God will abandon me. See, (coughs) Jacob's life is an example of a man who had unbelievable pain, but he always overcame. I think there's some things to that. So Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, and we'll back up and get this story, but I I just want you to see this part. Watch this. Uh, Now, the struggle that he's having is with God. Isn't it true? A lot of times when we're in a crisis, we're in pain, our struggle really and truly is with God. God, why am I going through this? God, just take it away. Why do I have to deal with this? So Jacob's no different. Uh, Genesis chapter 32, verse 28. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you have fought with God and with man and have won. So his struggle was with his circumstance, was with people and with God. Okay? Just so we're tracking. And so... It would be, this would be my prayer for my life, that regardless of the crisis, regardless of the struggle that I would overcome, regardless of the struggle, I would understand, I would own what is mine to own and move through this. See, Jacob's life was a life of struggle. So a little bit of biography. I love biographies. A little bit of story about Jacob's life. Uh, his, his dad was Isaac. His mother was, was Rebecca. Um, Jacob was a twin. Uh, Esau was, his, was technically his oldest, older brother. Esau was, was born first. Jacob was second, and so I, I know that if you 've been around a lot of twins uh, that twins like have this bond for life that wasn 't true of Esau and Jacob they didn 't look anything alike, they had very little contact with one another. Oh, and when they did have contact, conflict was always a part of it, so they didn 't really have a relationship and, and even, though, even though they were twins, not only did they not look alike but they didn't like act alike. They didn't have the same likes, and they didn't have—they were just nothing alike. In fact, is Esau? Esau was this guy that loved the outdoors. He loved the outdoors. He loved to hunt and fish and kill stuff and skin stuff, and and he loved to eat wild game. And so he—he he loved that kind of stuff. Oh, I need to tell you this: what made them such a dysfunctional family? Esau, dad's favorite. Jacob hated the outdoors, hated to hunt and fish and couldn't even understand why anybody would like to do that. Jacob was not an extrovert. He's an introvert. Jacob didn't like the outdoors. He liked the indoors. He liked, uh, he liked to hang out in the house and binge watch Netflix and hang out, you know, hang out with his mom, and, and, and he liked those things. Jacob, not his dad's favorite. Jacob is his mom's favorite. All of a sudden, you see the dynamics of a family. These two men, very different young men, they're struggling for a father's love. They're struggling for a father's attention. They're struggling for a father's approval. fact is, here, here's the depths of it. It just grips me every time I read this, verse 28. It said, Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Man, think about living in a household where you feel like your your brother is more favored than you. Your brother's a favorite. Even though your birthdays are like on the same day, it's clear around the cake. It's clear around the party. It's clear with the gifts that your brother is the favorite. And this morning I don't want to ignore this. You may be here this morning as an adult and you re- you have some childhood memories. And you know what it's like not to be the favorite. You know what it's like not to be the favored son or daughter. You can remember a time, and it's very specific to you, when a brother or sister was more favored or blessed than you. And in in the midst of this, in the midst of this, because remember Esau's the oldest. He gets the the blessing. He gets the, uh, the birthright because he's the oldest. Jacob, the deceiver, the manipulator, because if we're honest, in dysfunctional families, we learn survival skills, right? We learn coping skills. We, we learn how to navigate through and protect ourselves and protect our emotions in a dysfunctional family. And as a result of that, Jacob stole his brother's birthright that was rightfully his. And Isaac was nearly blind. His father unintentionally blessed him. He thought he was blessing Esau. But Jacob and his, and his mother was involved because his mother loved Jacob more than she loved Esau. Esau finds out about this, he was he was good with a knife, he was good with guns, he was good with stalking prey. Mother got nervous that that, that Jacob was going to kill that that Esau was going to kill Jacob. So mom takes Jacob, she takes Jacob and says you need to leave, you need to go live with your uncle. So she sends him away and he he runs for for his life. That that relationship was splintered in the family. That relationship between Jacob and Esau was like devastated in that moment. He goes to he goes to stay with his uncle. Uh, he meets a girl uh, that, that was that, what Scripture says that was beautiful. Her name was Rachel. She was the youngest one in the family. Her dad was Laban. Oh, and guess what? Laban was a deceiver. He was a manipulator. He was a con artist as well. And so Jacob goes to Laban and says, "I." I want to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. Laban says, I will be more than happy to do that. You're just going to have to work for me for seven years without pay. And at the end of seven years, you could marry my daughter, Rachel. And so he agreed to that. On his wedding day and then came the wedding night, Uh, Jacob could not wait to spend a night with his wife. And Laban, knowing that, took his oldest daughter, Leah. We don't know much about Leah All we know is the scripture said she had weak eyes. We can only take that to mean she wasn't as attractive and as beautiful as her younger sister, Rebecca. So that night, Laban slips Leah into the tent instead of Rachel. No candles, no lights. They wore several veils. Jacob didn't even notice. Jacob woke up the next morning and the sun is up and light is coming through the tent and he realizes that he's married the wrong sister. He's been conned, he's been cheated, he's been swindled, he's married Leah and not Rachel. Jacob gets angry, he goes and confronts Laban. Laban says, well, you know, Jacob, it's it's your fault. You know there's a a custom in our country that the, the youngest daughter cannot be married before the oldest daughter. I was only honoring that custom. And Jacob says, well, I'm still in love with Rachel. And he says, well, work for me for another seven years, and at the end of that, you can, you can marry Rachel. He, he did that, and he married Rachel, and they begin to have children, and there's all kinds of problems within the family. Jacob is trying to live and negotiate and navigate between two women, and, and he went from one struggle after the other. And so maybe you feel like, you know what, my life has been a struggle. Uh, Some of you may feel like I I have multiple families and and multiple professions and and I have multiple failures, and as a result of that, I feel like I go from one struggle after another. If you're not careful, you'll you'll attend church and you'll come into church and you'll look around the room and survey the, the congregation and there'll be some people that you think, you know what, they have it all together. They're successful, they got a wonderful family, that they don't have the struggles and they don't have the problems and they don't have the issues that I have. Can I just tell you this morning, we all have struggles. We all have problems. We all have crisis. Guess what? We're fallen. We're imperfect. All of us have come out of a dysfunctional family. And God wants to use our struggles and our crises in our life to produce perseverance and character and godly character. Many times the greatest ministry in your life will not come out of your accomplishments, but it will come out of your struggles. If you went into the Christian life and believed the Christian life would insulate you from problems and struggles, it will not. Being a pastor does not, unfortunately, insulate me from crisis, struggles, pain, and problems. If you think serving God will keep you from getting sick, having a car accident, having health issues, problem with a wife or a husband or a child or a job, then someone has misled you in the Christian life. And many times it's in the midst of crisis, and many times it's in the midst of struggle that God does some of his best work. I'm going to give you a few principles uh, as we just apply this to our life. I know that was a long introduction, but we just got to track, we got to understand the dysfunction in the family. We're going to see how he broke that Jacob, broke that chain. The first thing is this. When going through struggles, keep going. I know that sounds so simple, but it's so important. When going through crisis, when going through struggles, just keep going. The only way you and the only way I will get through crises and struggles in life is if we keep going and we do not give up. We keep going and we don't just bail on the whole process. Can you imagine Jacob's life living between two sisters? And at many times when you look at Scripture, I mean, they are literally at one another's throats. You never see Jacob whining. You never... That's one of the things I re- respect about Jacob. Jacob would not quit. Jacob would not quit till he overcame. Jacob would not quit until there was victory in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the struggle. And so you see this in Jacob's life. And there was a man one time that asked his elderly grandmother, who was a longtime believer, he says, he says I've always been curious, what is your favorite verse in Scripture? And she says, well, I don't know if I have a favorite verse, but I have a f- favorite phrase. And she says it comes out of the King James Version, and it's simply this, and it came to pass. And she said, because I've lived long enough, I've experienced enough of life to realize my struggles, my problems, my crisis, they don't come to stay, they come to pass. And when I learned that, it changed everything. So the first thing is this when you go through crisis, when you go through struggle, keep going. The second thing is this many times, <coughs> many times it is struggles in life that drive us to prayer. Many times it's a struggle, a crisis of life that drive us to prayer that drive us to church, that drive us to God, that drive us to a deeper understanding of God, that drive us to a deeper commitment. Many of you in this room, your, your testimony is somewhat like mine, that it was a crisis in your life that drove you to church. It was a crisis in your life that drove you to God. It was a struggle or something in your life that drove you to a deeper understanding of, of, of God. Uh, for me, I, I, uh, uh, when the bottom of my life dropped out in my 20s, it was my aunt and uncle uh, that took me to church <coughs> and helped me. But it was through a crisis that I decided, you know what? May- I've tried everything else. Maybe God can help me in the midst of this. And so Jacob, you see this in Jacob's life. Whenever Jacob had a crisis in life, whether it was self-inflicted or whether it was something that his brother caused or a parent had caused, it drove him to prayer. It drove him to God. In Genesis chapter 28, you, you find this. And-, and-, and Jacob, out of a problem of his life, it drove him to God. And all of a sudden, he makes a deeper commitment. And Jacob makes this commitment. said, God, i, I finally seen you of who you are. You're Lord of my life. And I'm going to give you 10% of my income from this start. I'm going to worship you, and I'm going to honor you with, with my resources. And so sometimes in life, it's in crisis and struggles that causes for a, a deepening in our life, a deeper commitment in our life. And you see this in Jacob's life. And another time when Jacob got healing in his life, it was is when a family reunion was coming up. And Jacob and Esau hadn't seen each other in 20 years. Uh, no text messages. They had unfriended each other on Facebook. Uh, they hadn't had any call. They blocked each other's calls. And they haven't heard about one another. They haven't talked. I mean, this, thing, this, this was a huge thing what Jacob did when he stole Esau's birthright. If you understood the culture, the, the custom... I mean, this is like the worst thing that you could do to an individual. So they have, this, they have this family reunion that's coming up, and they know they're going to have to see each other. And so we'll just walk through this story. So Jacob is headed towards it. Esau is headed towards it. Verse 22, Genesis 32. It says, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two servants and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabuk River with him. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions This left Jacob, this is so important, it's underlined in my Bible, this left Jacob alone. Isn't it something about, just let me stop for a second (coughs) and cough. Isn't it something about crisis and struggles in life that isolate you from everything else? Sometimes that's what makes it so difficult with struggles and crisis because you feel so all alone. But you know who was there with him? God. It stripped everything. God stripped everything away from Jacob. and said, Jacob, we need to work on some things. He started struggling with God. And so watch this. And so then this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came up, and we know that's God, and he struggled with him until the dawn began to break, and verse 28 tells us it's God. And so this struggle lasted all night long, but this struggle had been in his life for 20 years. You may be in a struggle, and you may be at that place to where I've I, I mean, I've been struggling with this for weeks or months or years, and I, I'm in that place. I'm in that place where I feel alone. I'm in that place where I feel isolated. Sometimes that's where God does his greatest work. Right now, my mantra, and I'm telling our staff, and I will continue to tell our church, never waste a crisis in your life. Many times it's in the crises of life that if we respond with humility, if we turn to Him in prayer, it's in those times of life that God does some of His greatest work. And I've heard testimony after testimony after testimony. There was a crisis in an individual's life. As a child, a teenager, a young adult, an older adult, where the bottom of their life fell out from under them, and they got to that place, they said, you know what, I'm going to turn to God. And for the first time in their life, they're open to that. And God does, listen, God does, I'm telling you, God does some of his best work in the midst of a crisis, whether you caused it or someone else caused it. And oftentimes God uses struggles. Because remember, God is behind Jacob's struggle. And many times God uses crisis and struggles in life to help us. Listen, Here's a principle about about Jacob, and I, I think it's probably true of most of us. And the principle is this. Many times people will never change in life until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of making a change. There are many people that will never make a change in their life until the pain of staying the same. The pain gets so great to where they, they understand, they get it. If I continually do, doing the same thing, expecting different results, it's going to end in destruction. If I continue on this path, if I continue this lifestyle, if I continue making these decisions, it's going it's to end bad. And when the pain of staying on that road, becomes greater than the pain of making the changes in our life. That's when people are open to change. See, that was Jacob. Jacob had been dealing with this for like 20 years, and he gets to the place where he says, I'm going to make a change. Verse verse 25, when the man saw that he would not win the match, (coughs) he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. Now, here's my favorite part of the story. <clears throat> but Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm staying in the struggle. I'm staying in the crisis until I have a breakthrough. I'm staying in the fight. I'm staying in the battle. God, I'm expecting you to bless me in this crisis. I'm expecting you to bless me in the struggle. God, I trust you because really and truly that's what an issue is, Right? When you go through struggle, when you go through crisis, are you going to trust God? You're going to trust your situation. And Jacob's like, I'm trusting God. God, I'm in the battle. I'm telling you, so many people, you quit way too soon. You quit before the blessing. And you see this in in Jacob's life. And (coughs) so many times we're great starters and horrible finishers, right? I once started an exercise program for a whole afternoon. I didn't see results quick enough so I bailed. <laughs> we live in an instant society. We want things tomorrow. So many people in a crisis and they say they make a commitment in church, God, I'm going to start praying more. I'm going to ditch this friend. I'm going to change this. I'm going to start doing this. And if they don't see results by Monday or Tuesday, God, where are you? Can you not see see what I'm doing here? And they quit, and they bail. Jacob wasn't that guy. Jacob's like, you know what? God, I'm going to trust you, whether I have to do this for a year, six months, a year, two years, five years, ten years. God, I'm going to trust you. So many times in life, we're such great starters. It's easier to make a commitment in church. It's much harder to live it out in our lives. But when you look at Scripture, you realize it, it, it takes a commitment to turn a life around. Jacob was realistic enough to know that, God, I, I didn't develop these habits overnight, so I'm not going to get rid of them overnight. It took, this has been from childhood, Lord. Man, these are things that I'm breaking. Listen, I'm telling you, you, you did not get in that crisis overnight. and You don't get out of the crisis overnight. Then watch this is so healing. And in, in, in Genesis chapter 32, verse 27, all of a sudden God <coughs> asked him, What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Seems strange, right? In the, in the Old Testament, the, a name reflected someone's character. You could hear a name and you know who that you, you know their identity, you know what they were. Jacob's name meant deceiver, manipulator, cheater, swindler. So here, here's what God was doing in the crisis see here's what a crisis does it makes you come face to face with God and face to face with yourself here's what he was trying to do he' was getting bringing Jacob to the point to own what is his to own in the crisis he was getting Jacob to admit God I am a cheater I am a swindler I, I haven't been honest I stole my birth my brother's birthright from him in other words whenever Jacob heard his name it was a reminder of who he was and and let me let me just tell you this you will you will never have a breakthrough in a, li- in a crisis in your life until you can admit or you can confess, God, I'm the pr- this, is, this is my problem. God, these are, these are my actions. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Listen, you will never find healing in your life in the midst of a crisis until you can come to the place and own what, what is yours to own. In other words, if you're always blaming someone else, if you're always excusing away your behavior, you know, if Jacob, Jacob wasn't that guy that was going, God, you, you, know, you know the fault. The fault is my dad. My dad didn't love me. I was raised in a dysfunctional family. God, what do you expect? God, God the problem is my mom. The problem is my supervisor. The problem is the economy. The problem is my husband. The problem is my wife. The problem is a past relationship. Listen, if that, if that is you, you will never find freedom in your life. You will never find healing in your life. And what God was doing, God was bringing Jacob to a place to where he could admit and he could own what is his to own. And when you can do that, there's freedom. When you can do that, there's healing. And so, so watch this. And so, so um, verse 28 He says, you will no longer be Jacob, the man told him from now on. This is when he had a breakthrough. From now on, you'll be called Israel. Israel means two things. Remember, Jacob means cheater and swindler. Israel means, means the prince of God or the one who struggles with God. Jacob is going. He's having a new identity. He is going from cheater, deceiver to the prince of God. Unbelievable thing that's happening here. And then he says in one. Please tell me your name, Jacob says. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Penel, which means the face of God, for he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Penel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. In other words, Jacob's life began to change in prayer. Jacob's life began to ch- to change when he could be honest about his actions, his decisions, and all of a sudden he gives him like this new name. He goes from cheater and swindler to like a new identity, to like the, the prince of, uh, of God. fact is, just real quickly, Romans 9.13 may be one of my favorite phrases in Scripture. Scripture says God's talking, and the Scripture says Jacob I have loved. You know why that's so favorite to me, so important to me? Because if God can love Jacob with his hang-ups, God can love me with my hang-ups. And God can love you with your hang-ups. I mean, for God to say that years later, Jacob, whom I love, oh, that that deceiver, that swindler, that cheater, now who had a life change, the prince of God, I love him. There's something about crisis that drives us to prayer. There's something about, in the celebrations of life, right? If we're not careful, our prayers get real superficial. God bless this vacation, bless this food, bless the kids, bless my job. But there's something about crises and struggles that all of a sudden our prayers get like desperate. They get specific. Here's another one. Struggles should bring us to the point of a fresh start. So back to the family reunion. Jacob is on his way. Esau's coming. Esau's. He's mad. And he's not coming by himself. He's coming with 400 men. And so watch this. Watch what God does. Genesis 33:1. <coughs> then Jacob looked up and he saw Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, so now he's panicked. He's like, oh, no, he's going he's to settle a score. This is going to be a family reunion that, you know, gets, gets on YouTube. Uh, and, you know, this is going to be a family reunion that's going to be remembered for, like, all time. And so he says, Rachel and, and, and his two servant wives, he put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went out ahead, and he approached his brother. He wanted to see his brother face-to-face without anybody around he bowed to the ground 7 times before him that's like asking for forgiveness i'm sorry it's showing honor then watch what god does <coughs> then esau ran to meet him and embraced him through his arms around his neck he kissed him and they both wept hebrew jewish culture that's 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 a sign of deep love that's a sign of reconciliation then Esau looked at the, at the women and children and asked, so remember, they haven't talked in, in, 40, in, in 20 years. Now they're catching up. Who are these people with you? I know nothing about your family. What has happened? These are, the children of God, the, the, these are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant Jacob replied. Then the servant wives came forward. So he starts introducing the family to him with their children, bowed before him. Next came Leah. And with her children, they bowed before him. And finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. And what were all the, flo- and what were all the flocks and herds I met as I came, Esau asked. Jacob replied, they're a gift for my Lord to ensure our friendship. My brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. But, Je- but Jacob insisted, no, if I found favor with you, please accept this gift from me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. Man, it's like seeing the face of God. There's nothing between us, Esau. Man, we're just good. Please take this gift I brought to you. For God has been very gracious to me. I have more than enough. And because Jacob insisted, Esau finally accepted the gift. Only God can do stuff like that. Only God can put families back together. Only God can put marriages and relationships back together. Only God can put friendships back together. Only God can put people back together that have huge unresolved issues for one another. You know what it really was? Esau was tired of his pain. You know what Esau did out of rebellion, even though he's his dad's favorite? When, when his dad, Isaac, blessed Jacob instead of Esau, Esau got so mad he wanted to stick it to his dad. And he went out and found a woman that his dad hated, that his dad would not accept, and he married her just to show his dad, just to stick it to his dad. And it caused all kinds of consequences in his life. Esau was full of pain. Jacob was full of pain. You know what helps siblings sometimes when they find healing in a family, when they come out of a dysfunctional family? is as they begin to see each other as the way God sees them. And they understand where we're both in pain. We both are carrying hurt. We both are carrying stuff. And that was Jacob and Esau. And now these guys have a fresh start. Here's another one. Nothing is more important than to trust God in the midst of your struggle. I think that's what struggles and crisis does for us. It teaches us to trust God. And we can no longer trust ourselves when the bottom breaks out. God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to bless me in the midst of this struggle it's a reminder to me that every decision we make affects our family, affects our kids, affects those around us and siblings and all of those other things. And, and God still speaks to today of how we should lead. The last one is this, understand the power of your words. Understand the power of your words. In other words, language matters. The words we use, the words we say, I, I've watched people in relationships rise and fall by the words they use, by the language they use. We can say something that's hurtful and mean, and we can ask for forgiveness, and there can be reconciliation, but don't you still remember those words? Now, I told you I would show you, and then we'll close. I told you I would show you how Jacob broke the chain of his family. So the root issue of his family was what? Favoritism, right? A dad loved one son more than he loved another. He didn't bless all the sons. So Jacob is dying. Jacob is on his deathbed. He has 12 kids, 12 sons at this point, point. and guess what he does? He calls all of his sons in. Watch this, and we'll close. Genesis 49, 28. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said as he told his sons goodbye. He blessed each one of them. Not just one. Kids, I was raised in a home Dad only blessed one of us. That's not going to be my legacy. That's not going to be the story of my life. I want you to know I love each one of you. You want to know, my dad had favorites. You know who my favorite is? All 12 of you. All 12 of you. And then it doesn't end there. And... He spoke an appropriate message to them. He affirmed each one of them in their personality, in who they were as a man, in who they were of their likes and their dislikes. Jacob broke the chain. Jacob came to this place, he was this man, that regardless of the struggle, he overcame. He learned from his father's example or what happens when you have favorites in a family, Or what happens when you bless one and not the other. And he says, not in my house. And as a result of that, his legacy was different. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?